The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On the roundtable this morning, let's say good morning to Dave Trafford, host and producer of On the Ledge, the Ontario Politics Podcast. Courtney Betty is a Toronto lawyer with the firm Betty's Law. And Jerry Agar is here from the Jerry Agar Show. I was asking abstractly, Jerry, before you got into studio, whether or not, you know, motorcyclists do it in in the winter, because today's the 13th of January, so presumably people are going to Port Dover, but that has to be a pretty cold drive. Well, I never worry about the cold, but I wouldn't be out on a two, you know, on a single track vehicle, as they say, in uh, when there's slippery conditions, when there's snow on the ground. I mean, I, I got up this morning and looked out the window and said, "Well, I guess that's not a motorcycle day." I mean, literally, and I wasn't even thinking about Port Dover. I was thinking about coming to work. Yeah. Um, the temperature doesn't bother me. I've heated handlebars, and it's not that far. I don't know if I would do a cross country trip in this kind of temperature, but you know, I'll ride. Good to know. All right. Always good to talk to somebody with a particular expertise. Uh, Ontario's Auditor General has been asked to investigate uh, the opening up of the green belt. Dave, I guess I'll start with you because it's kind of in in your uh, tower, uh, this particular story. Um, You know, I asked Mike Schreiner, is this because you think that something untoward has happened or you just don't think we're getting value for money? He said both. Well, I think there's two two points to this um, issue, and 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 you know you you designated them well with with Mike. The idea that first of all, it's the Auditor General getting involved, yeah. uh, f- just from the opposition or from the government's perspective, I think they would want the Auditor General to get involved because whenever she issues a report, no one, absolutely no one, pays any attention to it except for a couple of headlines the next day. There are no repercussions. There's no accountability. That's one. Two. She's way out of her lane on this. Way out of her lane on this. When you listen to Mike explain uh, the value for um, dollar money uh, issue, it's a suck and blow argument. Uh, all, they're all in favor of the idea that the government offered the land to farmers at reduced right rates because, of course, we wanted more farmland and we wanted to subsidize that. When they turned around and were able to sell it at something of a profit or not, then all of a sudden it's public property that we need to be able to take advantage of. Um, that sounds more like a RICO investigation than it does anything the uh, Auditor General should be involved in. Now, on the other hand, was there some untoward nodding and winking going on? I, if there's, if that's going on, then surely we need to investigate that and make sure that, that we get to the bottom of it. But as far as the Auditor General is concerned, way out of our lane. Okay. I, I'm not sure I in, agree entirely, but I don't know if i got a wingman on this one. Uh, Courtney Betty, I think if we sold land, government-owned land, at a discount because we thought it was important that it continue to be farmland, and then the, we rezone and it gets sold for a ton more, I, that, we left money on the table. Well, John, I, I think what's happening with this story is that it's still alive. And that, to me, means trouble for um, for the Ford government. The longer this keeps sticking around, is the greater the possibility that something is going to come out that's going to show maybe there was just more than a little wink that took place. And that's the real concern here. It's not what we know now. It's what potentially we could find out that could end up really being a challenge for the for the Ford government. I I find uh, the arguments being made, the most vehement arguments being made against this, to be just hyperbolic and political, because we've got an agriculture organization now panicking, and we're not going to be able to grow food, and uh, that's a part of what people like Mike Schreiner will bring up, but a lot of that land isn't being used to grow food in the first place. Uh, some of it is actually surrounded on three sides by urban development already, or suburban development, and the Greenbelt is not going to 
to get smaller. It's going to get bigger because there are other pieces of land that are going to be designated elsewhere as part of the green belt. So I, I think all we're getting here is politics. As part of the yeah, but oh, I, at, at, at the end of the at the at the end of the day, though, Jerry, um, whether you're right or wrong, whether we should have parts of it that's built out or not built out, I don't think that's a question. I think the question is. Was there something inappropriate that happened in terms of some element of the transfer of the land to a de- developer that was not appropriate? That's the real question that needs to be dug in, not whether or not there are parts of it that should be used for housing. Okay, but were, was there some sneaky deal made with uh, rich farmers when it was turned over to farmers? What Did that happen? I mean, you could always coulda, coulda, coulda. Yeah, I think the uh, the threshold for being able to make a case is going to be, I, I don't think it's going to be possible unless somebody stupidly left out, uh, you know, a, an email somewhere on the record where they said, by the way, we're doing this next week, you might want to buy. Maybe Joe Biden has the documents. Could, might be. <laughs> At least he gave them back. Um, so, some Toronto City Councillors, as part of our budget gyrations, are saying that we're not properly maintaining our trees and that this is going to lead to mayhem moving forward. Jerry Yeager, is it a persuasive case? You know, I was reading through this article and I was thinking, okay, um, you and I both, John, have been talking this week about uh, need-to-haves and want-to-haves when it comes to the budget and telling people that taxes are increasing. And I think maintaining the trees is something that has to be done. Uh, it's it's not uh, a hyperbolic complaint like I was uh, alleging in the previous story. When you say, hey, if these trees aren't looked after, they'll fall over and take down a power line and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that has to be done. But... Uh, Meanwhile, they're saying they're going to build uh, cricket pitches and pickleball facilities. So how about some priorities here? Uh, Dave Trafford, does, do you worry about this? Um, can I just take issue with the star story generally? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, the, they, By the, all means. The, the tag. Well, the tag in their photo, if you actually go to the, 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 the story this morning, they've got a downed tree. Looks like it's on the lakeshore. The whole tree is falling down. And it says, you know, by cutting this, uh, critics say it will lead to more downed trees in, the, in future storms. Okay. Um, that may be true, but clearly this is not because that tree didn't fall down because it wasn't well maintained. It obviously fell down because there was some high winds and pulled it up at the roots. The other part of this story, though, is, and I think it's the more important thing, and they buried it. It was the last line. It's that the uh, city is prepared to spend money to plant 100,000 trees. If I have to triage the amount of money I am spending on trees in parks, by the way, 1,500 parks, 2,500 trees, it's 1.6 tree per park. That's what we're talking about. If I have to triage that money, you're better to spend it right now on 100,000 trees because young growing trees capture more carbon than older trees do. So there is some sense behind this. uh, And I think it is a little hyperbolic to say that somehow all of this is going to fall down around us. This is very much hyperbolic's the word of the day. Yes. (laughs) Um, But I also also remember a news announcer once saying that uh, Michael Jackson slept in a hyperbolic chamber. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, BC has ordered a woman to reimburse her employer for time theft. Um, maybe I'll start with the lawyer on the panel here, Courtney Betty. Uh, effectively, they were monitoring her keystroke actions on her computer because she was working from home, and apparently she was billing for hours she wasn't working. Well, it's, you know, John, it's an interesting thing because just as a, you know, as a lawyer, when I worked for a firm, I had to provide my billable hours every 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 week and you had to make sure that you met certain targets right so if this individual somehow falsified those hours then whether you calculated that we're 
going to view it as time theft or whether you view it as just uh, falsifying and therefore you took something that you're not entitled to. I, I don't see an issue with this. I think what's interesting is that, you know, it was the employee that had sued the employer and then the employer then cross-claimed and made and said, hey, you didn't work for 70 hours. We're not paying you for that. And the judge, uh, the judge agreed on that. Jerry Agar, we work in a business where it's immaterial. You know, you're on the air from nine to noon. That's yeah. it. That's all. And you have to prep for that. But nobody's going to ever count keystrokes to verify whether or not you're working. No. Um, the the only thing would be if somebody listened to the show over the period of a few shows and they call you in and they say, are you working to prepare a show? Because it sounds like you're making it up as you go along. Um, that, that would be the only thing. I mean, otherwise, realistically, I don't think they care. They just care, you know, what comes out of the, the speakers. But that's a unique situation that we are in in that regard. What what I want to take on, and um, we're going to get another legal opinion at 9.50 this morning, employment lawyer Sunira Chaudhry is going to join me because this article says this is a dangerous precedent. And I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm kind of with, uh, with Courtney on this. If you didn't do the work, why should you expect to get paid for it? Um, John, so, yeah, sorry, just, I'd, I'd agree with both Jerry and, and Courtney on this, but I have a question for Courtney. It's 1500 bucks when you talk about the the cost of actually you know filing the suit, filing the countersuit, going to court, all of the legals. Clearly, the legal bill was more than fifteen hundred dollars here. Well, absolutely, and that's the mistake I think that the employee made is yeah. not recognizing that somehow the employer was actually tracking the work that they were doing, and the employer just kind of held on to it and waited at the right time to bring it out. Yeah, and Jerry, maybe you can ask Senior about this. I have to think that um, employment court is a lot like family court, where people are involved in litigation that, if they thought about it really hard, is is a stupid venture to be involved in, and they should find another way to solve their problems. Well, I think that's Dave's point: is that do you want to spend uh, ten thousand dollars to get fifteen hundred back? But but maybe you're making a point to the rest of your staff. Yep, sure. Uh, Dave Trafford, let me start with you on this one. Uh, seems that Exxon had scientists on the payroll, and they warned back in the 70s and 80s about climate change. Not only that, but they made predictions, and those predictions have turned out to be entirely accurate. Is this the same as big tobacco, knowing about uh, cigarettes and cancer? Sure. I mean, and this, and this story came out in 2015 originally, and now they've gone a deeper dive on some of the the uh, details that were there, and this, and you know, kind of going deeper into their science. Uh, I think what's remarkable in the story, of course, is that the the degree to which Exxon and the oil industry tried to reject the idea of climate and the effect of fossil fuels on climate. But what I love is, and we don't have time for it necessarily, but when you get to the bottom of this article uh, from the Guardian, they had a spokesman for Exxon who says this issue has come up several times in recent years in each case our answer is the same and it's just gobbledygook it's hilarious so the question though i guess is accountability i heard you know you and deb talking about it what do you do about this and where's the responsibility in, in all of that yeah because courtney betty it seems kind of you know the people are looking for some form of retroactive uh, justice if you don't want to pollute don't pollute but if you've been driving for the last 40 years then maybe you're part of the problem well john i think your analogy to the tobacco industry is a great one Um, The question now is, you know, is there potential legal liability? Where I see the challenge is the fact that they actually knew this and then they went out and they were saying the opposite. So, you know, is there some legal basis there? I think that's really, um, you know, the the big question uh, of accountability. But there has to be some accountability. It's a little bit clearer in the tobacco case. This one is not as clear. But again, the fact that they put it out there knowing the opposite 
there should be some accountability. Yeah, even what we would have done about it. I mean, back in the 70s, would we have all stopped driving? No, we wouldn't have. But the thing that really jumped out at me is if they knew this in the 70s, why weren't they out there countering what we were hearing in the 70s, which was that we were all going to freeze to death? Well, because that was a fairly yeah. minor talking point. No, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was front-page headline, big news uh, um, magazines like Time and Newsweek, and it was a big enough story. My brother, who's younger than me, told me he started to wonder whether there was any purpose in going to law school because uh, we were all going to freeze to death. That it actually freaked them out. They could have come out and said, no, actually, we're going to have the opposite problem, but they didn't. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good to have you. We didn't get to uh, small soldiers and big cars, but uh, that's on the agenda for round two. And I you, had something for you for did that. Did you? What do you got? Well, I've always... Wa- <laughs> please, please sit down. He's got okay. a small car. I've always wanted, and I don't have the money for it, a 1955 or 1956 Corvette. And if this study is right, do you people want me to take my pants off? <laughs> Just leave it there. I love that radio can continue to be a visual medium. My thanks to Jerry working from home. <laughs> Dave Trafford and Courtney Betty. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.